So our slogan is Ward Off Ordinary. We like to make unconventional types of spirits that are still very delicious and appeal to the classic palates, but also have that fun twist. So we're kind of always testing the limits of traditional distillation just to offer something different for people. Welcome to another episode of the Interesting People Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Monica Pierce, the founder, owner of 10th Ward Distilling Company. Monica, how's it going? I'm doing very wonderful. Thanks for having me today. And I'm actually extra excited about this because you are one of the few, I think, in Maryland, woman-owned distilleries. Correct. There aren't very many of us. Some are woman and man together as co-owners, but I think there are only a couple of us that are 100% woman-owned distilleries, so that's really exciting. Where did you get the interest in distilling? I've always been a big whiskey drinker and inspired by the craft distilling boom that was happening in the area. It kind of had been following on the craft brewing boom that happened about 10 years ago. I was super inspired by some of the younger distilleries that had started around that time that I was sort of starting to create this idea with Lion Distilling. They make wonderful rum out in St. Michael's. Blackwater is on the eastern shore there, and they were some of the earlier distilleries. But for a while, I was kind of like, you're crazy. You've never started a business before. You don't know what you're doing, and gave up on it. And then I got to a point in my life where I was ready to quit my job, kind of just said, screw it, took out all the money I had in my bank account, started the business. I had a business partner for a short period of time. He was my head distiller. He had done an internship at another distillery. But since then, I have absorbed full ownership of the company, and I've hired a head distiller. His name is John. He's got about six years of professional distilling experience under his belt and comes from some big names, which is exciting. So he's been wonderful. He's been working with us since January. Kind of a tall dude. Yeah, he's the big guy in the back. <laughs> he was the <laughs> definitely the highlight of the tour. Oh, good, good. Yeah, he's got a great energy. He's really creative, very technically sound as well. I'm very lucky to have found him because experienced distillers are few and far between. We still aren't quite at the saturation level in the market that breweries are yet. So, so going into the industry, did you really want to focus on whiskey and brandy distilling, or did yeah. you even think about beer at any point? No, I think that's because it had been done before and I wanted to be a part of this new and exciting venture that was happening with craft distilling but also wanted to offer something different because everybody's got an IPA right no offense to my brewing friends their beer is all very delicious but I sort of wanted to do something different and also different in the distilling world so our slogan is ward off ordinary we like to make unconventional types of spirits that are still very delicious and appeal to the classic palates but also have that fun twist so we're kind of always testing the limits of traditional distillation just to offer something different for people. My distilling knowledge, almost zero. Yeah, okay. But on your website, you have a lot of seasonal stuff. How much mm-hmm. of the interest in the job comes into the planning out, or I don't know if you call it designing a flavor or picking the flavor. Do you enjoy that process? Oh, yeah, that's probably the most fun part because the hardest part about opening a distillery, especially when it comes to barrel-aged whiskeys and brandies, is creating something, putting all of your money into it, and then watching it sit on a shelf in a barrel for years. (laughs) And that's both stressful because then all your money is tied up in that, but it's also hard because you have to be really patient. And so while that part is fun, the seasonal and the limited stuff is also a fun passion of mine because we can do these quarterly and seasonal releases and we're really focused on like wild crafted ingredients. So we go out and hand forage wine berries for our summer liqueur and that keeps it creative and 
interesting and people hear that and they get excited about it and then they can taste almost that local flavor in what they're drinking. So that's been a lot of fun for us. And I read that you have an environmental science background. Is mm-hmm. going out there and finding ingredients is kind of a way to touch back onto that? Yeah, a little bit that and just the way that we operate. We source all of our ingredients locally. Everything is grown from a farm, all of our grain at least, right outside of Charlestown, West Virginia. So it's about 20 miles away. The cider that's the base for our brandy is sourced from McCutcheon's. And then all of those other types of ingredients, for the most part, we try to get as local as possible. So it's not just the reconnection to nature, but it's also having an impact locally and how we source, how we reduce our environmental footprint by not utilizing as much fuel. We also try to reuse everything that comes out of the distillation process as well. The spent grain goes to a farm and they feed it to their dairy cows. The other types of outputs from distillation, we end up reusing in other ways. I think a part of that makes me feel like I'm still able to bring that passion and my background to what we do. The location is really interesting. You're calling it 10th Ward because of the history. Are you like a history buff? Was there someone else involved in the process? Like, oh, we got to call it that. My business partner at the time was a history buff. He had a background actually in Civil War history. Uh, And that's sort of where a part of our brand was created. You know, we really wanted to revive the booze history of the area, distillation history, but with our weird, unconventional and modern twist. We have a whole bootlegger wall in the distillery dedicated to famous Frederick bootleggers from the 20s. We do like to use their names and different stories and promotions and that type of stuff. But we also have the map of the 10th Ward printed up there, which was the way that Frederick was districted during the late 1800s and early 1900s. And we love the image of the map. We love the font and the way that things were drawn then. And so that sort of was the inspiration for our logo and our name as well. You guys are going to put out absinthe soon, right? We are. We are producing Maryland's first absinthe. What led to that? It's a whole bunch of things. So absinthe is a traditional spirit. It was traditional to Europe. So that gives us sort of that historical context there. It's becoming very trendy in the market right now. It's very popular, especially with cocktail bars. A lot of people like to do what's called like the absinthe rinse, where you rinse a glass with absinthe. So it's just very slightly present in cocktails. Hmm. Sazeracs are really popular now, and they're typically made with rye. So we kind of want to have a little Maryland rye connection there. But when John came on board in January, he came with having already released commercial absinthe at previous distilleries. And a lot of the distillers in Maryland are self-taught. So most of them were kind of like, well, we don't want to figure out how to make absinthe. (laughs) We were hoping somebody else would. And it kind of fit that perfect niche for both our mission and our slogan and to give John something that he could really put his name on and hit something hard with his first big release, I think is going to be really great for us. You've been debunking myths about it leading up to its release on your Facebook page. Yeah. Is there any myth in particular you couldn't wait to debunk? The first question that we get from everybody is, is this going to make me trip? Am I going to see the Green Fairy? (laughs) There are a lot of rumors related to absinthe in that sense because I guess it sort of started back when people were drinking absinthe. They were also smoking opium at the time. Oh. And so they likely were tripping on (laughs) in some way if they were drinking absinthe and smoking opium at the same time. And so there were all of these propaganda campaigns for a really long time. Very similar to the marijuana campaigns that we had here in the U.S. back in the day where they would claim that you would become a murderer if you drank absinthe and you would go crazy and all of this stuff. So that history kind of just kept on going since absinthe still hasn't become completely saturated in the U.S. market now. And that one's a fun one. The other one a lot of people ask is if they should set it on fire before they drink it. And we always say absolutely not because it is 140 proof spirit. So unless you want to burn your eyebrows off, we recommend you do not set your absinthe on fire. (laughs) But yeah, that's sort of because of all those questions, we really want to take this opportunity 
opportunity to educate people, not just about absinthe, but also just about craft spirits, because it's still such a new thing in the market. And this weekly absinthe myth debunking session has been a great opportunity for us to sort of start on that trajectory. How close are you to open them up and sell them? July 21st is the official date that we've pegged for that. It's also our two-year anniversary party, so they sort of oh, coincide, fun. which would be really great. It'll depend on, I'm hoping to have it bottled at least a couple of weeks before that so that we aren't scrambling last minute to have everything <laughs> ready. But John has started on batch one now. Is it as green as it looks in the movies or is that the glass? Yep. That they put? Oh, really? It is green. And that comes from, so there are two processes when you're making absinthe. The first happens during distillation, and that's what they call the digestion phase where you distill the spirit with the herbs. You could do it in a few different styles. And then there's a coloring phase afterwards where it also sits with the herbs. Most of those tend to be green herbs, which is what creates that color, that green color afterwards. Does it have a fun name? We're calling it Absinthe Nouveau. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It still has that sort of nod to the French language. It's a little modern because we're creating a traditional style absinthe with a few other ingredients to add that little twist. With as long as things take to brew, I guess, are you already planning or in the process of making the next big thing that comes out after that? What we do is we create a calendar based on what we want to release at different times. Our seasonal liqueurs are an absolute definite. We always do those every year. So spring, summer, fall, winter, we'll be releasing one style of liqueur for each one of those seasons. So that's a definite. And then we just kind of, as we happen to get creative and do fun, weird stuff, we really want to start creating this business model where we develop a need and a demand for these one-off, one-time only releases. You see a lot of breweries now that will have people camping out with lines around the door to get this one can release. So some of that comes out of accidents. So for example, Actually, on June 20th, we'll be releasing what we're calling Atomaro Boy. That is a grapefruit IPA that Attaboy had brewed. Attaboy Brewery, they're out on on the creek, downtown Frederick. And they weren't quite happy with the way that it came out. It just didn't taste good. They didn't want to serve it. And, you know, respect to them for doing that because some people just, in order to get that sale and not waste that money, might just put it on tap. And instead, we said, well, let's distill it and see what happens. We distilled it into a spirit, and it tastes amazing. It tastes just like a distilled grapefruit IPA. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. We've been aging that in a rum barrel with candied persimmons, threw in some honeysuckle this past week, and some more grapefruit peel, and then we'll sweeten it with honey, and we've uh, bittered it a little bit more. So it's that's kind of in the style of an Amaro, and an Amaro is the type of spirit that's bitter and sweet and botanically and used for cocktails and mixing and after-dinner sipping. That's one of those just fun, <laughs> random things that we've been working on. That's one I would kind of camp out for. I love grapefruit. Oh, so. good. Awesome. We're super excited about it. It's tasting delicious June 20th. I would almost say, like, are there any flavors you're chasing or any big ideas you have? But it sounds like if you have an idea, you just go do it. Yeah. And it's a mix of a drunk conversation over a beer with a friend <laughs> to my friend introduced me to this thing called the Flavor Bible. His name is Matt DeStefano. He's a local bartender in Frederick, and he's also amazingly creative. And it's awesome. It's almost like a dictionary where everything is in alphabetical order and you can search for grapefruit. And all of these chefs came together and they listed all of the foods ever that pair with that one thing. Oh. And so you can go down and it'll say grapefruit, sugar, honey, whatever, and it'll list 30 different types of ingredients. And then you can say, okay, so grapefruit pairs well with vanilla. Now let me look up vanilla. And so you can sort of start to create these really cool flavor combinations just even from research. And then, you know, it's also just a mix of being creative and 
thinking of what's trending, but what would also be interesting to people, what would be totally weird and throw them off, but then taste amazing. So that's definitely, I think, one of the more exciting parts about what we're doing. I guess a basic level question I should have asked earlier is how long does it take to distill? If you're doing an unaged spirit, let's say one of our, what we call our white whiskeys, so it doesn't even touch a barrel at all, that could take about up to a week. Fermentation can be about three to four days and then distillation a, a couple days after that. And then you proof it. Proofing you want to do in at least 24 hours. And that's where you're cutting the high proof spirit that comes out of the still with water to bring it down from like 150 to something a little more palatable, 90 mm-hmm. proof. If we're going to infuse something, that it's another couple of weeks, so I'd say those usually take about three weeks to create, and then anything that's barrel-aged, you can age something from a day to six months to two years and so on. Maybe one day 10th Ward will have a 10-year aged spirit. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> What's the longest thing you've aged so far? A one-year apple brandy. That's an apple brandy that we age in bourbon barrels for a year. And right now that John has come on, part of his position is to really start to grow and build our barrel program, which is something that we weren't able to focus on in the beginning because you're kind of just constantly scrambling to keep up with demand. Yeah. And now that we have that, this sort of expansion project moving forward, a little bit more money to be able to set aside, we'll be filling all those barrels. What's your most uh, popular drink? Anything that's going to be seasonal or limited is going to sell the quickest. And that's <laughs> just because everybody knows it's about to run out. After that, our smoked corn whiskey is probably our most popular. It does really great in cocktails. Anybody loves anything with the word smoke in it, for the most part. Every once in a while, you get people that don't like smoky stuff. But we're also going going to be putting that away into barrels so it'll eventually be a smoked bourbon and that'll Ooh. be a big flagship whiskey for us. I know you mentioned expansion. I think I remember on the tour the person mentioned you guys mm-hmm. are going to get a downtown Frederick location. So we'll be keeping our current spot for production. So that'll be all fermentation, distillation. We've invested a lot of money in that space. We have found a new space on East Patrick Street. It's next to where Rex's used to be. That was that burger restaurant yeah. that was open for a little bit. The location that we're in actually used to be called Little's Furniture but it has been vacant for a few years now. It's about 6,000 square feet in total, so it's ginormous in comparison to our 1,600 square foot space. (laughs) We're really excited about that. But it'll be all front of house, barrel storage. Our bottling line will be there. We're going to retrofit the bar so that we can serve cocktails to a certain extent. We're kind of still working on legislation to figure out how best to do that. And then the second floor is perfect for an event space, so we can also host weddings and holiday parties for offices and that type of stuff up there. Will you call that like the 10th War tasting room or? We're calling it the Cocktail Lab. Oh, mm-hmm. that's great. 10th War Cocktail Lab. Yeah. Oh. I'm thinking, I'm thinking I probably need to a couple more names like Cocktail Lab and Spirit Shop, Cocktail Lab and Barrel Room. I'm not yeah. quite sure. I need to figure out what will appeal to people when they walk by the window, but what will also register in their head as to what it actually is. <laughs> I just want to be able to tell people I'm going to the lab. Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> awesome? John came up with that name, which I think is wonderful because we really are constantly experimenting and pushing the limits and we want to always have something that's a seasonal spirit on the menu. And we also aren't really trying to operate as a bar because we're primarily a distillery. We're a manufacturer and we want to make good spirits. But most people don't drink straight spirits. So you want to be able to taste your gin with your tonic or your whiskey in a Manhattan. So calling it the Cocktail Lab is sort of our way to not directly compete with the bars, but still be able to experiment with combinations for how you can consume our spirits in fun and creative and delicious ways. So you don't have any problem with people making cocktails? Because I know some people are like, oh, drink it straight or this or that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Especially when you're a young distillery. You know, it's one thing if you've got a 12-year-age scotch that has had a lot of time with it. And I absolutely love 
drinking my spirit straight, I highly recommend it. But they can be very harsh on a person's palate, especially mm-hmm. if they're more of a wine drinker or they're not used to drinking straight whiskey. And so I absolutely push the cocktails for sure. With all the different kind of stuff you make, all the limited stuff, do you have people that are like worried that they miss it? Yeah, that happens all the time. And I do get requests from people that want to reserve a bottle. So we have a policy. We don't reserve bottles for customers. The only customers that can reserve a bottle are our club members. So club members, it's free to join. It's very similar to a wine club where we gather your credit card information, your email address, and every quarter we release a quarterly bottle that that club member then will purchase. You have the choice to opt out. So those club members have up to a week if they don't want that bottle for that quarter, if you don't feel like spending the money or it's not something you're interested in. But any other limited release that is not a part of that quarterly purchase, they also have the right to reserve. So club members can shoot me an email and say, hey, I want three bottles of that out of Morrow Boy, set it aside for me. It's a great way for people to sort of buy into what we're doing, but also do fun stuff with us. We do special club events. They get discounts on merchandise and free tastings and that type of stuff. So it's a nice little extra customer base for us, which is great. Build a little bit of a community. Absolutely. And you guys have merch. Is it fun to see your logo on merch? Yeah. I remember the very first time we saw somebody walking around with one of our tank tops and we didn't know who they were. It wasn't like a friend or family (laughs) member. And we all took a bunch of pictures of them from across the creek. (laughs) They were on Carroll Creek and we all got really excited about it. But yeah, now it's it's really neat when you see it because that means that, you know, I'm doing my job and the brand is getting out there and people are excited to rep it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I I feel like I've learned quite a bit. Good. Did you now are you uh, at least closer to being a distillery expert? I'm I'm so close. (laughs) I'll I'll have to do some more on the site training, I feel. All right. (laughs) Put you to work. So I end every interview with the exact same question. Okay. What has you excited? What are you looking forward to? Having the new space open. It's going to look super awesome. We're designing this beautiful, weird, funky mural right when you walk in the door. I'm excited to be right where all the foot traffic is right before the holidays. So I recommend everybody come out to try a drink sometime. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me.